Shalom, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the live stream tonight. I'm so excited. Tonight we are going to have a jam-packed night full of information for you. And we're going to be talking about an increasingly popular topic, a, a question that more and more Christians these days are asking themselves. Should we keep the Sabbath? Jesus did it. It seems that the disciples did it. It seems like some in the early church arguably did it. But should we look towards it? Isn't the Sabbath changed from Saturday to Sunday now? Isn't the Sabbath considered more Jewish? Isn't the Sabbath every day? Isn't Jesus our Sabbath? Isn't trying to keep the Sabbath putting us back under the law? What is it about the Sabbath? Uh, brothers and sisters, I think that the Father is bringing this up, up again. This is a, a question that Christianity is facing now and wrestling with. And perhaps it's important for us to really consider it deeply, considering that it is part of our Ten Commandments. Many, I've, I've noticed that many Christians have an idea of what the Sabbath is that has been corrupted. Because, see, there are many definitions of the Sabbath flying, floating around, depending on who you ask. In Orthodox Judaism, the Sabbath has many footnotes on how it ought to be kept. Many, many have laden it with heavy burdens and it just ends up becoming something that just sounds unpleasant. But what is the biblical definition? What does the Bible say? That's what we'd like to uncover today. And um, I'm honored today to be joined with my brother, uh, David Wilbur. David, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Thanks for having me, my friend. It's an honor. Yeah, everyone, I just want to introduce him to you. David is an author, Bible teacher, and Christian apologist. He's authored several books, including his most recent work, Remember the Sabbath, what the New Testament says about Sabbath observance for Christians. I am linking the uh, the book in the description of this video for anyone who's interested in it. If you're interested in this book, I, I, well, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you'll be interested in this book because what David really does is, is he's going to be digging much deeper than we're able to even go into um, things tonight since it's a book, right? So, but but that being said, we're going to be digging really deep and I'm excited to do so with all of you. Um, I want to open this up, David, with just let's tell everyone why we're here. Um, what are our personal motives for having this conversation? You know, David, could you maybe open and share with us um, why do you care about the Sabbath? Right. Well, you know, as you mentioned, PD, uh, the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and few Christians would say that the Ten Commandments are irrelevant today. Uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon called the Ten Commandments a perfect law, and um, but you know th that raises the question, as you said, like what do we do with the Fourth Commandment then? Because despite how it's worded. It seems like many Christians today have forgotten it, or they consider it a non-issue. Yet the, the commandment says to remember the Sabbath, that this is something we are to remember. This is something that that is, uh, as 
much a part of the Ten Commandments as the other commandments that we all agree we should be keeping. And so I started investigating this commandment uh, many years ago, um, over a decade ago. And, um, you know, when I started digging into this issue, I had many of the same questions or objections, I guess you could say, that, that you outlined uh, earlier, such as, well, I, I thought the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. I thought that the New Testament teaches that the Sabbath doesn't really mean anything to us anymore today as Christians, at least not in a literal sense, as in literally resting on the seventh day, because Jesus is our Sabbath, right? Um, I've heard that the Sabbath is just a Jewish institution. It was never meant for um, non-Jewish Christians. So I had all of those objections, but when I actually looked into what the scriptures say about this issue, what the scriptures say, uh, particularly the New Testament, what it says about whether or not the Sabbath applies today, I was astonished at how little support there actually was for many of those ideas that I just mentioned, that the Sabbath was done away with, that it changed to Sunday, and, and so forth. Um, what I learned is that the Sabbath actually is meaningful still today, that Jesus and the apostles did keep it, that it is something that uh, that God wants us to have as, as part of our lives, that it's intended to be a gift uh, to bless us. And so when I started digging into the scriptures, I can no longer ignore this commandment. And when I started actually keeping the Sabbath, I can no longer live without it because it was a blessing. Awesome. Yeah, you know, brother, I, I have a similar journey with that. And, you know, mine actually, just briefly, mine, I remember when I was um, at university, you know, I've been a Christian my whole, basically growing up, but when I came to university and I started growing more hungry for God and in his ways, right? Um, I ended up f finding myself in a class and a course which I felt incredibly unqualified for because long story short, I just got in by some miracle um, surrounded by um, other students who had great skill sets in design and I had a bare bones skill set. Um, and I found myself really struggling academically in comparison to them at university level in my first year. So much so I was crying out to God for help. And, and in that time, I remember growing more and more um, close to the idea of the Sabbath because the promises of blessing that it, it, it gives us in the scriptures is quite strange because it says, well, if you don't work on this day, you will be and you rest, you will be blessed for it. Like when Israel in the, were in the wilderness and they chose to not um, gather the manna on the Sabbath, but gather it on the sixth day. And they held on to the promise that it would take them through the Sabbath and carry them through and bless them. This, this principle I found to be incredibly true for my life, even though it was so difficult. I found myself in a, in a, among classmates who would study themselves to death right on the Sabbath, uh, just as the world continues doing their work. But when I decided to set it apart and not work the way that the way they would, 
I started seeing the Father's blessing in in my academics, so much so that I I started surpassing them, and, and I'm not boasting or glory to God, but I started surpassing from being the least, if you will, in that way. And I just saw His blessing in my life and in the lives of many people um, who, since I've seen, started taking this. Um, the testimonies are endless. Uh, I have mm-hmm. never met anyone who who hasn't uh, started keeping the Sabbath, who doesn't have amazing testimony and stories to share because, well, yeah. there is blessing in keeping His Word, right? Yeah, and, and especially in this day and age, I mean, so much uh, in, in Western culture, you know, our identity is wrapped up, our, you know, the people in the world, their identity is just wrapped up in what they can do, what they can accomplish, uh, what they can build, and and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, we workaholism, right? It, it's just people, as you mentioned, people just working their lives away, uh, the daily drudgery of life. And there's there's no ceasing, there's no stopping to really appreciate rest and, and to appreciate life, the, this blessing that God has given us. And so I think the Sabbath really, it, it, you know, Yeshua, Jesus, he said that the Sabbath was made for man. And we, we can maybe talk about that a little bit more later, the implications of that passage. But basically what he's saying is that God established the Sabbath in the beginning for mankind's benefit, just like he established marriage in the beginning for mankind's benefit. Um, You know, just as marriage benefits man, you know, it's not an exclusively Jewish institution. Uh, Marriage has not been done away with, um, you know, and just so so why would we think the Sabbath is? Both of those things were given in the beginning to bless us. And in this world of of constant striving, you know, constantly trying to build something or, or, uh, you know, where our identity is wrapped up in what we produce, the Sabbath says, stop, no, you are more than your work. Mm -hmm. Your identity is in the Lord and he has given you rest. And and the Sabbath is, is a picture. It's a small taste of the eternal rest that we have in Messiah Yeshua and the eternal rest that we will experience in fullness in the world to come when he will come, will he, when his presence will fill the entire earth and when we will be able to have true rest uh, from our labors. And uh, the Sabbath is, uh, is a picture of that. It's a taste of that future rest to come that we get to enjoy right now in our temporal space, our, our earthly time right now. And, and it's just a, it's just a great, um, for many reasons, it's just mm. a great blessing. And in, in this world, we are so wrapped up in distractions, especially in these modern times right. of entertainment and everything we have. And the Sabbath, I think, brings us back to, well, God is actually telling us, I want a date with you. I want you to set aside yeah. a day to spend time with you. No longer can we have the excuse of, I didn't have enough time to pray. I didn't have enough time to be with God. You know, in the first century, the, the Sabbath was centerpiece to the day that people would meet with God, going to the synagogue, fellowship, rest of their labors, etc. And ultimately for me, you know, just as we talk about this, on, on top of all of this, I think, it's this desire in me to imitate Christ, 
that is right. also there. That it says in 1 John 2, 6, that whoever abides in him ought to walk as he walked. Now, mm-hmm. what did he do? I think we're going to get into that here soon. But, but if Jesus was considering the Sabbath an important element to his spiritual walk with the Father, should we? If it was his right. custom, should it be ours? That's really a question I want to ask everyone listening here today as we go into this. Um, I think, David, a, a lot of, I think this question of the Sabbath oftentimes invokes a Christian response of, uh, often of, um, no, I think your motive is to put Christians back under the law. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that we have to clarify what is that meaning of when we say, under the law and the, I guess the title of this video, when we say should keep should Christians keep the Sabbath, what does should mean? You know, and, mm-hmm. and so I just want to open it up by saying, look, we are not here saying Christians should keep the Sabbath as in in order to be saved. We are right. not talking tonight about the context of salvation. We're talking in context of how did Jesus walk? What is obedience to God? How can we live in bl- the blessing of God? Uh, what do you right. think about that and to people who who have that uh, statement of being under the law? Well, you, you know, I mean, we, I, I echo everything you just said, you know, we are saved not by anything we do, not by any commandment we keep. We are saved by grace through faith. Salvation is a gift um, that we receive by faith. And, um, but the fact that we are saved by faith it does not negate our responsibility to then, as Christians, obey God. I mean, Christ, there are plenty of commandments that every Christian believes we should be keeping, um, and none of those things are done to earn our salvation. Every Christian believes we ought to honor our parents. Every Christian believes we ought to uh, not engage in, in sexual immorality. Um, or to to not hate people or to not slander people. We walk out those instructions not to be saved, but as a way to live as saved people. As saved people, how do we live? That's the question that we're considering. We're not questioning what do we do to be saved because we all agree that salvation is not by what we do, by what, Amen. but by what Christ did, and we receive that by faith. But now the question is, as Christians, how do we live? And I think that the Sabbath commandment, like the other nine commandments and the Ten Commandments, is part of what that looks like. How do we live as Christians? Keep the Sabbath as part of that. Mm. And on top of that, the the phrase to be under the law, we mustn't remember that that is in reference to held under that consequence of the law when we've broken it, when we are dragged before a judge because we committed some crime, we are held under the law, under the consequence, the punishment that that judge invokes upon our life. But yet Christ came and he died for our sins so that even in our sin, we can be set free from the punishment that the law previously brought us. That is separation from God, right? And so we are not under the law. And, and even if you keep the Sabbath, it is not about whether you're under the law or not, as long as you remember, like David so well said, that this is not about salvation, but this is about we're saved. Now, what do we do with that? Right. Uh, so I think the next thing we can do is is start just foundational. Um, what is the foundational 
teaching of the Sabbath. What is the definition of the Sabbath that the Bible gives us? Uh, David, could you share with us that? Well, the command is found in uh, Exodus 20, and uh, basically it says we are to keep the Sabbath holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the, the next verses go on to uh, elaborate. Uh, verse 10, for example, says that we are not to do any work. And um, the Hebrew word translated work there basically means, um, uh, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, quote, one's routine or habitual work, i.e. one's business. So work is basically whatever one does for self-provision. And so for people today, that would basically mean whatever you do, your, your regular job that you do to make an income. You know, we are not to work on the Sabbath. We are to rest from our work on the Sabbath, the seventh day, which uh, in the biblical days begin in the evening. So it's uh, technically Friday night to Saturday night. Uh, that day, that seventh day, we refrain from work. Now, um, there's a lot of that's just one aspect of it. Um, but uh, really quick, uh, something I forgot to mention is that, um, you know, we should hold the Bible as our final authority on on what it means to keep the Sabbath. I because I think there is confusion. Um, sometimes when people begin to investigate this, uh, they look to modern rabbinic Judaism, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm not slamming, you know, rabbinic Judaism or anything, but um, because Jews today are, are, you know, are known for keeping the Sabbath, um, a lot of Christians tend to look toward modern rabbinic Judaism to see what it means to keep the Sabbath. But we have to understand that Judaism today is not the same as the Judaism of Jesus's time. And even in Jesus's time, Jesus, Yeshua, he disagreed with some of the Judaisms of his day in regard to what it means to keep the Sabbath. And, and he um, repudiated many of the, the traditions that went against the heart of the commandment to keep the Sabbath. So Yeshua, Jesus himself, he upheld the scriptures as the final authority on what it means to keep the Sabbath. And we should too. So, um, you know, I would mm. just encourage people, um, you know, to go to the scriptures first and foremost, modern rabbinic Judaism, they've, they've added a lot of traditions, they've added a lot of uh, restrictions and laws to the Sabbath that are not necessarily biblical. And we'll see that a little bit later, I think, uh, if we have time to get into some of the uh, disputed mm -hmm. passages in the New Testament. Uh, but I just want to say that, you know, to, to clear up some possible confusion, um, you know, the, the Sabbath, uh, we also, there, there's some theological elements to the Sabbath. Um, you know, we are to keep it holy. We, we are to, it, it's supposed to be treated as a different and special day. It's not like the other days of the week. Uh, it's a special day that we dedicate to God. We are to rest. Um, the Sabbath is a day that we are to remember that God is the creator of all things. Exodus 20, 11 says that the Sabbath memorializes the fact that on six days, God created the work, uh, created the universe, and on the seventh day, he rested. So every time that we rest on the Sabbath, we are memorializing that creation, the fact that God is creator. We are affirming our commitment to that truth that there is a creator, that the God of Israel created us, 
and that we're not here by random chance, but that he created us with a purpose. Uh, we are to remember the fact that God is our redeemer. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.15 says that the Sabbath memorializes the fact that God delivered us from slavery in Egypt. And as Christians, we know that this truth of deliverance, that this, uh, uh, you know, delivering Israel from Egypt, that it's a prophetic picture. The Exodus is a prophetic picture of our own deliverance from slavery to sin and death. And so every time that we keep the Sabbath and we memorialize that Exodus on a deeper level, we are memorializing the gospel message. We are remembering and reflecting upon the fact that uh, Yeshua died for us, that he defeated sin and death on the cross, that he set us free so that we can worship him. And of course, um, we're to take delight in the Sabbath, according to Isaiah 58. The Sabbath is a day intended to refresh us, according to Exodus 31, 17. It brings refreshment. It brings, uh, it, it renews our spirits. It renews uh, our energy. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Yeshua said that God established the Sabbath in the beginning for mankind's benefit. And so those are just some of the things. It, it's not much. I mean, really, when we think about, you know, people think that the Sabbath is some kind of burden. <laughs> it, it, not really. When you look at what this, what the Bible actually says about the Sabbath, it, mm. it's not a burden at all. It, it's, mm. it's a huge blessing and it, it's a gift. And, um, you know, we, we, we should receive that. We should welcome that. Mm. What I love about it is in Genesis 2, verse 3, you know, it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done. So we see that the Sabbath was introduced not here, and even though it's, it's, it's uh, officially introduced as part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus right. chapter 20, the idea of it is introduced in the second chapter of our Bible, with right. creation. And so the seventh day is in creation connected to the idea of a Sabbath. This is what this day has been created to be like the sun has a, a, a design to create light and like the moon has its own design to be the lesser light. The Sabbath day, the seventh day is to be the day of rest. And mm. I think that that's so wonderful because this is what Moses is uh, is uh, referring back to in Exodus chapter 20, because he's saying in uh, verse 11, you know, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. Right. He made it all and he rested as an example of this is um, what I uh, what I desire for you to do, I believe. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people, they think about the Sabbath as this thing that's, oh, you know, it was invented here. But just like all the other commandments, it wasn't because, well, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, everyone knows murder is wrong, sexual morality is wrong, idol worship is wrong. And these things were wrong from the beginning, from Genesis, but it was only officially presented in the form of the Ten Commandments here. And so mm -hmm. I think what people miss is they, they consider a lot of the typical sins we think of as being instinctually wrong, like murder and so on. But actually, by this logic, we should consider the Sabbath as just as important, considering it's alongside these other things that we would never think twice about. Um, so, 
Yeah, just something to think about, brothers and sisters, regarding this. I, I agree, David. You know, I think that the I've noticed a lot that people, when they start talking about the Sabbath, people especially who who oppose the idea that Christians should keep it, they oftentimes start talking about, well, what do you mean? Do you? And they start asking things like, well, do you use electricity? Right. Do you drive a car? Do you use the elevators? Because mm -hmm. of course in modern Judaism and some Orthodox circles of Judaism, that is mm -hmm. some of those things are restricted, but right. again, we should ask, well, what is the basic biblical definition? And then we'll find, well, it's not in there. These things aren't there. And it's actually really simple and a blessing. And, Amen. you know, you mentioned it's not a burden and I agree with that. Um, I will say this. I think that it is for someone who's brand new to this, right? who's never mm -hmm. kept a Sabbath before. I, I'll be honest. I remember when I started keeping the Sabbath, it was not easy either. It's an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. There it's are, a, yeah. the whole world is not keeping this day set apart wholly. So right. when you do it and the world goes that way, it's kind of like, oh no, what do I do now? What do I do with my children? Right. Mm -hmm. With all their friends mm -hmm. and school activities. What do I do with my work? What do I do with my, uh, the things that I like to do? And then we have to sort out, well, what is okay and what is not? And so right. those are, are worthy questions to ask and wrestle with. But ultimately, what I can say is that when you get to have done this a few times and it doesn't take long, you start realizing the immense blessing that this presents. And it is not a burden at that point anymore. Amen. Um, That's so good. Yeah, um, I'll just add this scripture to that to what I just said. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So there is a burden, mm. but it's light, he says. And mm. like it's like you said, David, there's this symbolic picture of this rest in Yeshua that we enter when we rest in the Sabbath, looking forward to the fact that one day we will no longer be under the the curse of labor, if you will, because, mm -hmm. you know, everyone, you know, we should recall that when man fell, God came and said to Adam and Eve, um, in pain, in toil, you will eat of the land all the days of your life, Genesis three seventeen. So mm -hmm. we have to work for our money to buy food, etc. today. And we know that that's laborious, that's painful sometimes. But there'll be one mm -hmm. day when the, the ground we toil in will not be working against us as it does today. And that is also, I want to submit to you, what the Sabbath every week when we keep it reminds us of, that there is a hope of the future, there is a salvation, mm -hmm a deliverance that God has given us from our mistakes, including deliverance from this current labor that we have to toil in, uh, that we will one day totally be set free from. Amen. That's good, man. Yeah. Amen. So um, I wanted to ask you, uh, ask you guys, um, or, or David, let me ask you, um, what do you think about this day with regards to people's faith and how it affects our faith? Um, uh, what role does unbelief play in this uh, and our, our, our trust in God? Well, um, 
as you kind of mentioned earlier, it, the world does not keep the Sabbath. You know, this is this is something that will um, be a challenge, uh, especially at the beginning. Uh, as you said, I think it does get easier. You know, the more that you you do it, uh, and as time goes on, and the more practice you get, but it is it will require um, you to trust the Lord and uh, to make. You know, you might have to turn down certain job opportunities um, that would require you to, to work on the Sabbath. Um, you know, you might have to, you know, it, it is a commitment, you know, but, but just like any other, um, commandment, any other way that we obey God, you know, there is some trust involved in that. And, and it's trusting that God, I, I know you love me. I know that, uh, you gave me the Sabbath as a gift and, and that, uh, you're faithful and that you promised to take care of me. Um, and so I, I think, you know, just, yeah, you know, just, I, I would encourage anyone who, who is, um, starting out keeping the Sabbath. And if they're, if they're worried about how that might affect their, their work or their, their job situation, um, you know, just to trust him that, that he's got you and, and you just have to, to be faithful and, and trust that his ways are higher. Mm, that's so good. You know, and, and mm -hmm. I think that's part of what the challenge is that, well, this day is holy and it is like a sign of God's people. When you have right. businesses that are businesses driven by the keeping of the commandments, for example, a business that will actually shut its doors on the Sabbath. That's really strange in today's world. Oh, yeah. Or when you decide that I'm not going to go to my supermarket like everyone else does on this day, I'm going to do differently. It, it, it makes it poses a challenge in situations. But if we plan our lives around it, it's not it, it becomes a blessing. I remember my right. family, you know, in my family, it's like, oh, you know, it's it's the, when is the Sabbath? Because, well, when it's Sabbath, it means we rest. It means we don't have to worry about the stuff in the world. Right. And, yeah. and all the things that that entangle us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, you just kind of uh, sorry to cut you off. No. But but yeah, you you learn to just you learn to plan your schedule around it, you know, to or you know, it, it's incorporated. It, it's a way of life. It becomes a way of life. And um, I just remember um, e even recently, like there was this um, uh, this is going to sound strange. Uh, I, I like weird music, but um, there Me was too, this it, <laughs> there was this indie math rock band <laughs> that I'm that I uh, am a fan of and I've been obsessed with their music and they were coming to town and I really wanted to see them. And um, I saw that they were performing uh, just uh, really close to it, to where I live. But I saw that it was on a Friday night, which, which you know, the Sabbath begins Friday night. And, you know, for like a split second, I had that thought like, well, you know, I don't want to be legalistic about this whole Sabbath thing. And, and you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal uh, to go see, see this band. But, you know, I, but then I, I snapped out of it because I, I had been keeping the Sabbath for... for you just wrote you a know, book on it, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I'd be, been keeping the Sabbath for over a decade. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I snapped out of it and I'm just like, you know, I... God is worth it. You know, this is something that he gave. This is something that I do as an expression of my love for him, as an expression of my uh, devotion and commitment to him and his ways. And he's worth it. He's worth sacrificing um, a concert for. He's worth sacrificing 
everything for honestly a concert's a little thing he he's worth our whole lives and and so um you know there there's going to be things that come up like that you know that that will challenge you and and you know in it, it's it's a human thing but but it's it is a test of of our faith i think and when those opportunities arrive arise and you know we just have to be faithful and and choose god and mm. and trust that his ways are better than ours Mm, amen. Everyone who's listening, I just want to let, let you all know that um, at the, the second part of this broadcast, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the typical common Christian um, theological arguments against why we should not be considering keeping the Sabbath. Um, so for anyone who's already asking these questions, right, that we intro this video with, please stay tuned and we're definitely going to look through a lot of those. Um, uh, next, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, who kept the Sabbath in our New Testament and forward, maybe going into the early church period a little bit. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just share here from the from the beginning, you know, when we look at the life of Christ himself, Yeshua, like in, in Luke 4, 16, I'm going to open it up here for everyone to read. Mm. Uh, it's such a, I love this verse. So he, he says, uh, it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. You know, so I, I think it's the question really has to be what I said earlier. If this was Yeshua's custom, in other words, this was his way of life. This was what he did every week. Right. Should it be ours? Should it be something that we consider making our custom in light of us calling ourselves his disciples? That's really, I think, a big question that Christianity is facing right now. Um, even when we look at like the uh, at the uh, crucifixion and the events surrounding it, even in that moment. And this is this was just crazy to me when I read it uh, in our New Testament also here in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 56, it talks about how even in that moment, the disciples were observing the Sabbath surrounding his burial, right? It says, then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath. They rested according to the commandment, right? Mm -hmm. So they're preparing, but, oh, it's Sabbath. We're going to rest. And it says in Mark 16, verse one, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So they mm. waited for the Sabbath to be over. You would think that, man, like this is the savior of the world and they want to anoint his body. Surely we can break the Sabbath for that. But they considered it so holy that they understood that it would be the father's desire to honor it, even in light of the Messiah's burial at this point. Right. Yeah. And it, it, that's what they did is not what we would expect if Yeshua had taught that the Sabbath was no longer important. I mean, these were his followers, right? So, I mean, if he had taught that this, that's not what we would expect them to do. It is what we would expect them to do if Yeshua never did away with the Sabbath, if he, if he affirmed that the Sabbath was still important, um, which I believe the New Testament teaches. So, I mean, yeah. that's so good. And 
it's so interesting because the the same language is also used when uh, Paul talks. It's almost like he's right. quoting the Messiah actually when he's or let me say Luke writes uh, in the book of Acts because it says in Acts seventeen verse two. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And so right. we see this, as was his custom, Paul went in. Yeshua, as was his custom, went on the Sabbath to the synagogue, which, of course, in the first century was a very common thing to do because that's where how you read the Bible, that's where you fellowshiped, that's where that was your worship to God, and that's consequently going to be your rest because that's where everyone would be instead of in the uh, other places of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of people, I bring this up because a lot of people have said, well, you know, when we look at, looked at the previous um, book of Luke where Mary and the others kept the Sabbath or when Jesus himself did it, many have said, I've heard, well, you know, that was Jesus, and it all ended when he was raised from the dead. That's the moment that mm -hmm. that commandment fell away and the new covenant was introduced. But yet, we now see that Paul says it's his custom too. And it's not just, he's not just going to the synagogue on the Sabbath to appease Jews. He's right. not just doing it to, to reach Jews because that's where they would be. But it says, the writer of Acts says, it would be, it's because it was Paul's custom. That's the reason. And right. I think that's a very interesting note that he is making there for anyone to not go and say, well, actually, it's just because Paul's trying to please people or he's just doing it because he's trying to reach people. I mean, David, what right. do you think about that? No, you're exactly right. And in Acts 16, there wasn't even a synagogue um, available when when paul was in philippi but he still kept the sabbath so obviously uh keeping the sabbath was more than just a, a way to evangelize jews mm -hmm. it says uh, in acts 16 13 it says and on the sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we uh supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together so it was the sabbath they were looking mm. for a place to pray because they wanted to observe the Sabbath. Um, so this had nothing, you know, at least this example had nothing to do with um, evangelizing the Jewish people. It, it, was, it was the Sabbath, so we want to observe it the best we can. There's no synagogue around. Let's go to the river to pray. And yeah, so there's... Um, uh, there's a ton of examples, Acts 13, Acts 18. Um, Acts 13, Paul kept the Sabbath and Barnabas kept the Sabbath and they taught in the synagogue. Acts 18 was when Paul traveled to Corinth and it says that he attended the synagogue services every Sabbath. Um, and so, yeah, there's um, all over the book of Acts. Are, um, you know, it's we, we see Yeshua's followers, including the Apostle Paul. This is way after Yeshua died and resurrected. Mm -hmm. They continued to keep the Sabbath, which again, uh, I, I make this point, but this is not what we would expect if the Sabbath had been done away with. If Yeshua had taught that the Sabbath was no longer important, or if uh, Christians believed that after Yeshua's death and resurrection, that the Sabbath was a, a shadow that, that just passed away, if they believed that, 
these examples of the apostles continuing to keep the Sabbath are not what we would expect. But these examples are what we would expect if they believed the Sabbath was still an important aspect of their lives as Christians. Mm. And just on, that's very good. Just to mm. continue on something you mentioned there, you know, it's not just that this was about evangelism to the Jews, because we mm -hmm. see in Acts 13, verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words right. might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Okay, so the right. Gentiles, the Greeks, were going to the Sabbath. Anyone who believed in God right. went to the Sabbath, uh, excuse me, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and, who, and kept the Sabbath ultimately. Uh, Acts 18 verse 4 also says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And Greeks, right. Yeah. And, and so Paul says, you know, in um, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 11 verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, if Paul very, very clearly, I think we have, I think there's, there's so many examples in the book of Acts alone about Paul keeping the Sabbath. If this mm -hmm. is his custom, and Paul writes that we are to be imitators of him as he imitates Christ, who also kept the Sabbath as his custom, right? what does that mean for us as us we try to imitate them, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's an important question we should wrestle with. Um, so, um, uh, is there any examples of the Sabbath being kept in the later centuries that we have on hand um, in relation to the early church. You know, I, I think that the Bible is enough, but I think it's also interesting when we can find um, words from certain historians that confirm the continuation of at least some Christians holding on to the Sabbath. Right. So, uh, great question. And uh, this this comes up a lot. I mean, and it is reasonable. It's a reason. Uh, as you said, the, Bi the Bible is our final authority. And, mm. you know, if, if later Christians stopped keeping the Sabbath, well, that would just be an example of them deviating from the Bible. We should always go back to the Bible as our final source of, of right. truth. I, I know a lot of people, a lot of, go ahead. Yeah, in other words, sorry, I interrupt you. In other words, we we cannot simply use historical early church or latter church father writings as proof that this, oh, look, they, they didn't keep the Sabbath here. Well, ultimately, that's not our, that's not our authority, right? Our authority right. is the scriptures first. But yet we do also have, and this is not what we put our, our, our faith in, but we do also have, um, writings. Yeah, sorry, David, you want to continue? No, no. Th yeah, that's uh, right along with what I was about to say. Yeah, ultimately, uh, e even if all the church historic, uh, like the church fathers disagreed with with you and me, um, it still wouldn't matter because the Bible is our <laughs> final source of authority. But the evidence that we have indicates that the early Christians were keeping the Sabbath. Um, you know, there are there is evidence particularly in Rome and Alexandria, uh, of Christians beginning to um, abandon the Sabbath uh, in the second century. But we have two um, fifth century church historians, quotes from two fifth century uh, church historians 
who say that well into the fifth century, almost all Christians outside of Alexandria and Rome continued to keep the Sabbath alongside Sunday. Uh, here is a quote from Socrates uh, Scholasticus in Ecclesiastical History. He says, for although almost all churches throughout the world celebrate the sacred mysteries on the Sabbath every week, yet the Christians of Alexandria and at Rome, on account of some ancient tradition, have ceased to do this. The Egyptians in the neighborhood of Alexandria and the inhabitants of uh, Thebaius hold their religious assemblies on the Sabbath, but do not participate of the mysteries in the manner usual among Christians in general. So right here he says that almost every other church, like almost everyone else, um, all the other Christians out besides Alexandria and Rome keep the Sabbath every week. Here's another quote from uh, Sozomen in Ecclesiastical History, uh, his Ecclesiastical History, uh, chapter 7, verse 19. He says, The people of Constantinople and almost everywhere assemble together on the Sabbath as well as on the first day of the week, which custom is never observed in Rome or in Alexandria. So here we have two fifth century historians testifying to the entire Christian world observing the Sabbath uh, as late as the fifth century. And um, we have other historical evidence. Um, the fourth century apostolic constitutions, for example, which is a collection of eight Christian treatises, um, uh, it has a number of um, instructions pertaining to the Sabbath and Sunday. So a lot, most Christian communities um, kept both days. Uh, Sunday did become a customary day of worship uh, within Christianity very early, um, within the set, by, by the second century. Um, but it was not seen as a replacement of the Sabbath until centuries later. And we can talk about that a little bit later or, or now if you want. Um, yeah. But it was not seen as a replacement of the Sabbath until much later. Um, and most Christians actually kept both. Most Christians kept the Sabbath and Sunday. Um, mm. So, I, I mean, I, I have many more uh, in my book, uh, Remember the Sabbath. Um, I have many more um, quotes from primary evidence from uh, historians within the early centuries, as well as uh, Christian scholars who, who all affirm that, yeah, uh, most Christians, um, as late as the fifth century, continued to keep the Sabbath. This was not um, mm. something, uh, the, the abandonment of Sabbath that we see evidence of in, in some early Christian writings, that sentiment was not universal uh, among mm. all Christians. Um, it was particular to uh, Christians in Alexandria and Rome. And there's mm. a reason for that. Historically, uh, Rome very early wanted to kind of separate Christianity from Judaism. And, and they wanted to, uh, Christians in Rome kind of wanted to create a distinct identity from Judaism. And one of the ways they did that was by abandoning the Sabbath and um, worshiping on Sunday exclusively. And mm -hmm. so in Alexandria and Rome, that, that transition, if you will, started very early, but it wasn't like that everywhere else. Right. I have the quote here. Um 
from uh, Constantine in the, around the 4th century. He said, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrate and people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed in the country. However, person engaged in agricultural work may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits. Um, right. And, and so, you know, yeah, we see this. And it's interesting because the, the, one of the church uh, historians that you just quoted earlier mentioned that Rome and Alexandria stopped uh, observing the Sabbath for uh, some ancient tradition. And it's quite mm -hmm. interesting. I, I'm kind of curious what that ancient tradition is that they mm -hmm. talked about. And it may just be kind of wrapped up with something quite unusual, considering the biblical, considering the Bible, um, probably right. something we may consider pagan. I'm not sure. However, mm -hmm. regardless, we see that we, we know that the authority has not been given to anyone to change the day to mm -hmm. change the priority of the observance or change the priority of days from the seventh to the sixth day or what or the first day or whatever day you want right um because ultimately that belongs to yeshua and he is the one who would only be able to ever do that but yet we don't have any evidence in the bible where he, he's like okay guys listen i'm changing the day here we're changing it to this day don't worry about that anymore you know because many christians do argue that well we observe sunday and many pastors uh would argue we observe sunday because of the resurrection mm-hmm and that, that sounds respectful and fair, and, and of course. However, do we have the authority to change the essence of what the Sabbath was created to be in creation for right. this idea, even as good intentionally, intentional as it is? Right. Uh, what do you think? So, yeah, so the that idea is not in the bible itself uh there's nothing in the and i i unpack this a lot more in the book there there's a couple of passages um that uh many people will kind of point to one in acts and one in uh corinthians where christians did meet on the first day of the week but it wasn't a regular uh meeting it, it wasn't a weekly meeting um in, in either of those passages uh it was just a, a um unusual occurrence, uh, especially the one in, in Acts. And, and the, the mention of the first day of the week uh, in 1 Corinthians 16 um, was not even talking about a corporate gathering. Uh, Paul was just saying, hey, set some funds aside at your home so that I can gather it to send to the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, so there's no evidence in the, in the New Testament itself for um, Sunday becoming a um, a a memorial of the resurrection. Now, I have no problem with Christians uh, observing Sunday as a memorial of the resurrection. Uh, early Christians did do that. Um, and uh, that that's no problem. We can have mm. church services on any day. Uh, that, that's mm. no problem at all. The problem is when it becomes a replacement of the Sabbath, as you said. And that did not happen uh, in the early centuries of Christianity. While Sunday did very early become a, a special day that Christians um, uh, observed. Along, they, they observed it alongside the Sabbath. It was never seen as a, re a replacement of the Sabbath. It wasn't even considered a day of rest. It was not a day of rest until 321 AD when Constantine issued that edict that, that you quoted earlier. Um, when Constantine's edict was what 
defined Sunday as a day of rest, which it was not considered a day of rest uh, before that time. Here's a quote from Christian historian. His name is Justo Gonzalez. Uh, this is from his uh, book, A Brief History of Sunday. Christian, uh, or Justo Gonzalez, he is a renowned Christian scholar. His uh, books on church history are used as textbooks and in, in seminaries. The story of Christianity, I think, is what it's called. But here is what Justo Gonzalez says regarding Constantine's edict. He says, now that Sunday became a day of rest, civil laws had to determine what work was lawful on that day. This was soon followed by ecclesiastical laws, also determining which activities were allowed on Sunday and which were forbidden. Under such circumstances, it is not surprising that Sunday was now connected with Sabbath rest and with the commandment ordering it. This was the great change introduced by Constantine's decree. It brought about a connection between Sunday and Sabbath rest that was not present in earlier Christian thought and devotion. In the long run, this would lead to discussions as to whether Sunday abolished the Sabbath, whether Christian worship should be on the Sabbath, and so on. So basically what Justo Gonzalez is saying here is that Constantine's decree opened the door for later ecclesiastical authorities to discourage Sabbath observance and mandate Sunday observance exclusively. This is what initiated that historical long historical process of Sunday basically taking on the characteristics of the Sabbath and starting to become um, acknowledged within Christianity as the new Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And um, so as time went on, church authorities increasingly disparaged Sabbath observance and promoted only Sunday observance. And, um, you know, it, it eventually... Uh, when we get to like the time of the Reformation in English-speaking countries, uh, Sunday not only replaced the Sabbath, but also even came to be called the Sabbath. And so mm -hmm. that's why when you see like um, you see Protestant Christian confessions and and uh, other sermons and and Christian literature from that time period, they all actually affirm the Sabbath commandment. They say, yeah, Christians should keep the Sabbath. The Puritans. Um, endorsed Sabbath keeping, and yet Sunday is what they meant by that, because, because ultimately this change introduced by Constantine's decree, which um, basically turned Sunday into a day of rest, and, and that conflation over time with the Sabbath and Sunday, um, th that's where we, that's how we got to where we are now with. Um, many Christians considering Sunday as the new Sabbath or as a replacement of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath changed from Saturday to Sunday, not by the scriptures, but by political edicts and church councils centuries after the time of the apostles and the earliest Christians. Mm. I want to read something um, just as we close this point off from a man called Eusebius. He was the court bishop or a close friend of Constantine. And there's something in the way he phrases things that I want us to pay attention to. He says, he wrote in his commentary on the Psalms, all things whatsoever that it was the duty to do on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, we, Constantine, Eusebius, and other bishops have transferred to the Lord's day, the first day of the week, as more appropriately belonging to it, because 
it has a president and it first in it's first in rank and more honorable than the Jewish Sabbath. Now, to me, what's very telling is his words of saying, oh, that's the Jewish Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath is what we do not do. We have now the Lord's Day, which we have set a different day apart to do on. And this interesting separation from Christianity, or let me say Jew and non-Jews, was I think also something that played, there was, there's a lot of things that played a role, but this was one of the things that certainly played a large role. And a lot of anti-Semitism was um, amongst many Christians as well in the day. And so that really brings us to another argument that I hear a lot of people bring up regarding all this. And that is, well, you know, the, the idea of the Sabbath sounds Jewish to them. That's the first thing that many people would say, right? Um, it's intended for the Jews. It's a Jewish commandment. It was given to the Jews. Um, and in fact, when you even look at Orthodox Judaism uh, today, strict Sabbath observance is seen as the benchmark of orthodoxy and mm -hmm. is the really, really used as the legal bearing, the definition of what a Jew is in a religious Orthodox, uh, Orthodox religious court. And mm -hmm. so even the perspective from of from the Orthodox Judaic side is that this defines what a true Jewish person is. And now, of course, you know, as Christians, we oftentimes grab a hold of even that definition of, oh, the Sabbath is what defines a Jewish person. But is that mm -hmm. what the Bible defines the Sabbath to be? Or what the Bible, how the Bible says a what the Bible says the Sabbath is a sign of, that is right. followers of the Messiah of God of, mm. of the God of Israel, and so I think that we sometimes get our definitions from the wrong places, and one more thing that I think has played a role is also how not um, the world itself has identified. Jewish people by a few certain things, right? Like the keeping of the Sabbath. We know in Israel, that's what they do over there. Oh, and they, the Jewish people, they eat differently. They have a different diet than the typical Western diet, you know, and now they have those feast days they keep. And so we have these certain outward things that they have done throughout the ages that the world defines a Jewish person by. Hmm. And when we go to like, one, even way back in ancient times of 132 AD with the uh, Bar Kokhba revolt, you know, we have these, this, this war and the Jews are barred from Jerusalem. And we see that the, the persecution that comes upon the Jewish people is so severe that they are not allowed to be, even enter Jerusalem anymore. And they are targeted for their, by the fact that, well, they keep Sabbath, they uh, study, they go to the synagogue, they do these certain things that Jews do. And by mm -hmm. nature, many Christians just came and said, well, I'm not a Jew, don't kick me out of here, don't persecute me. And that naturally places a big uh, burden on someone to continue in these commandments, like someone, something like the Sabbath, if it mm -hmm. means that I will be persecuted by that. Um, Hadrian was the... Uh, the leader at the time persecuting these Jewish people. And he set out a decree, for example, saying 
he, for, he forbidden Torah studies, Sabbath observance, Jewish courts, meeting in synagogue, and other ritual practices. And so this just tears apart this unity we just read about in the book of Acts, where we mm -hmm. see these Greeks and Jews in the synagogue celebrating the Sabbath, being in fellowship together. Now, all of these many different things happen, but one of the things is these, these persecutions just rip people apart, and then we have anti-Semitism. And, and all, all these things in history just caused Christians to inherit an identity that is so very different from what we could uh, say that the very early church, like the Book of Acts, identified themselves as having. Yeah, yeah, and you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Anti-Semitism, um, a, a desire to have a distinct identity from the Jews uh, was a huge motivation for abandoning the Sabbath because uh, the Sabbath was seen as, as too Jewish. And so um, that happened uh, very early in Roman and Alexandria, uh, and, and it certainly played a part in, in the um, eventual abandonment of the Sabbath, um, you know, o over time. Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one more thing I'll just bring up with that before we move on to the next one is um, Mark two twenty seven, famous words of Jesus, right? He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he's obviously quoting the creation account there, right? Right. With, how, Alluding to it, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. How God created the Sabbath for man, but for not for the Jewish person, not for the Greek, for mankind. That's in fact right. what the uh, Greek word is there. It's a human being is what the Sabbath was made for, right. not a certain nation. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even, even the fourth commandment itself, you look at the fourth commandment itself, it, it's not a commandment. Um, given to Jews exclusively, it's given also to the stranger within your gates. The stranger is also commanded to rest. Isaiah 56, uh, God, he, he encourages the foreigner to, you know, he invites the foreigner to keep the Sabbath and, and says, you will be blessed in my house of prayer for all people, all you who keep the Sabbath. And uh, he's talking to the foreigners there, um, so non-Israelites. So um, that is, um, I, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, um, you know, all, all of the examples and acts of both Jews and Gentiles keeping the Sabbath in the synagogue. Um, Yeshua, Jesus himself, he said that uh, he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. The Sabbath is part of the law and the prophets, of course. He admonished his followers to do and teach even the least of the Torah's commandments. And then later in Acts 28, when he issues his great commission, he commands his disciples to teach the Gentiles to observe all that he commanded them. Well, since Yeshua commanded his disciples to observe even the least of the commandments, uh, it would follow that they would then teach the Gentiles to also observe even the least of the Torah's commandments, which would involve Sabbath observance as well. So, um, yeah, the, that was never God's intention for the Sabbath to be an exclusively uh, Jewish, um, Jewish institution. It was 
as you said, as we both have said already, it was established in creation along with things like marriage. Marriage is not an exclusively Jewish institution, so we shouldn't think of uh, the Sabbath as an exclusively Jewish institution either. Amen. All right, I'm going to go on to our next point here that uh, people often bring up, and that is that Jesus himself broke the Sabbath, showing we should no longer keep it. Um, so, David, I'm going to ask you to head this one. I'm just going to read us the little passage here where this is all from so we can kind of just gather the context before we talk about it. Um, so Mark 2.23, it says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Ibiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to them who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So, I mean, David, it's saying... Right. It's not lawful mm -hmm. for Jesus to do this. Uh, he broke the Sabbath, it seems. What do we mm -hmm. just tell people who say that? So um, from whose perspective is it not lawful? It's from Yeshua's accusers, right? It's from their perspective. Um, the issue, uh, and, and we see this so often with Yeshua's confrontations with the Pharisees, uh, the issue in this particular case with the Sabbath, it's not a question of whether or not to keep the Sabbath. It's over how do we keep it. And the Pharisees of this time, the particular Pharisees arguing with Yeshua, they had a certain idea of what it meant to keep the Sabbath. And from their perspective, the disciples broke the Sabbath by plucking heads of grain. Now, um, if that's true, um, well, let me just put it this way. Um, there, that is a problematic interpretation in light of all the evidence, because uh, you read from Mark 2 um, that the story appears in all the synoptic gospels. In Matthew's version, it appears in Matthew 12. Well, we know just a few chapters earlier in Matthew, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Yeshua said that not a single iota or dot would pass away from the Torah until the end of the age and the consummation of the kingdom when heaven and earth pass away. And he also admonished his followers to do and teach even the least of the Torah's commandments. So Yeshua made the statement just a few chapters earlier, uh, just a few chapters before this confrontation with the Pharisees. Why would Yeshua, you know, be endorsing transgressing the Sabbath literally right after he affirmed the Sabbath's ongoing validity in Matthew 5? Uh, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but let, let's take a, is there an alternative interpretation here that, that harmonizes this passage with the rest of scripture, which supports the ongoing authority of the Sabbath. And yes, there is a um, reasonable alternative interpretation. Um, the issue was over how to keep the Sabbath, not whether or not to keep it. And when we look at what the Torah actually does say 
about the Sabbath. We see that regular work was forbidden, and this included harvesting, things like harvesting, um, but it doesn't say anything about plucking grain uh, specifically. Apparently, the Pharisees considered the disciples' activity a type of harvesting. In the rabbinic literature, particularly um, the Mishnah, there are 39 classifications of prohibited work on the Sabbath. One of those prohibited act prohibited. I can read it right here for you. Yeah, go uh, for it. Yeah, Mishnah Torah 8, uh, verse 3. One who reaps something the size of a dread fig is liable, and one who severs a plant is doing a subcategory of reaping. Anyone who uproots right. something from the source of its growth is liable for reaping. Right. So, so um, yeah, so, so that would, so the disciples' activity, according to the rabbinic interpretation, would certain be, certainly be classified as a type of harvesting, which would be prohibited on, on the Sabbath. Um, but the disciples' activity was a violation of only man-made restrictions, not the Torah itself. In fact, the Torah itself um, in the Torah itself, plucking heads of grain is distinguished from harvesting. In Deuteronomy 23:25, we read, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So right here, we see a distinction between plucking heads of grain and harvesting, taking a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And so, um, basically, what, what's going on here is Yeshua, he is addressing this accusation um, that his disciples broke the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were accusing Yeshua's disciples on the basis of their interpretation, their overly strict interpretation. In Matthew's version, th this confrontation comes right after Yeshua in, in chapter 11. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's setting up this confrontation with the Pharisees. We're meant to see a contrast here between Yeshua's teaching, his yoke of teaching, in contrast with the Pharisees' uh, burdensome yoke of teaching. Mm. Uh, in Matthew 23, what, what does Yeshua say? He, he cr criticizes the Pharisees. He says, you, you tie up heavy burdens onto people, right? Um, well, this is an example of the Pharisees doing that. Um, right. And so what Yeshua goes on, he, in Matthew's version of this, it, it's even clearer. And, and um, I go into a lot more detail in, in the book, and I, I quote uh, numerous Christian scholars that, that back up some of these points. But basically, in, in Matthew, Yeshua directly says that his dis disciples are innocent. He says in Matthew uh, 12, uh, verses 5 through 6, he says, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Uh, hold on, no, I'm thinking of... The next verse. Okay, yeah, the uh, verse seven. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Yeah. So right here, Yeshua is saying that his disciples are guiltless. His disciples are innocent of your charges. They have not broken the Sabbath. And then he goes on to say in Mark, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for right. the Sabbath. He's saying, you Pharisees, you guys have it wrong. 
you have misinterpreted the very purpose of the Sabbath. You have made the Sabbath into something that man was created for, when really the Sabbath was intended as a gift for man. It was intended to benefit man. You guys have distorted its meaning. Right, and then... That's why yeah, he brings and, up David, right, going to the uh, to, to the to the priest eating of uh, the temple, eating the bread, right? That was for the priests, right? Because ultimately, you know, even though in some uh, cases, I guess you could try and argue that oh, that was unlawful for him, right, to do. Like these Pharisees were now trying to argue that the disciples are doing unlawful things. At the end of the day, the purpose of the law, including the Sabbath, is to bring life. So it says right. that, well, Yeshua said that he was in need and hungry when he did that. And so the disciples are probably on the way back from preaching the gospel in need and hungry, going through this yeah. field, grabbing something to eat on the way. If they walk through that field and they're like, oh, we can't eat, we need to go hungry. We need to, you know, be wary and weak because it's the Sabbath day. That would be missing the point. And that's that's what you like what you said, David, like that's why Yeshua said the Sabbath was made for us to bless mm -hmm. us, not to burden us like what is now being done um, in this right. case by these certain Pharisees. Yeah, and, and these Pharisees, I mean, Yeshua's um, example of David here is really brilliant because why does he answer their accusation in this way? What does David eating the bread of the presence have to do with this conversation about the Sabbath? Well, David's act actually was a violation of the Torah, yeah. you know, because the bread of the presence was for only priests to eat. But um, the Pharisees likely would have agreed with Yeshua that David's actions were justified in light of the situation. Mm. David and his men were in the midst of battle and their lives may have depended upon eating the sacred bread, um, you know, that, that's reserved only for priests. So um, most Jewish teachers uh, back then and, and even today, they, they would agree that some laws of the Torah could be justifiably suspended based on the principle of preservation of life. Basically, if your life is in danger, you know, uh, certain laws, uh, laws regarding the Sabbath can be suspended. And so, again, the Pharisees likely considered David's situation to have been a necessary exception to the laws governing the bread of the, pres uh, the presence. So um, it appears that Yeshua is kind of using their logic against them. Uh, and and he, he would agree with their logic. He agrees with the principle that, uh, as we read a little bit later in, in the story, when he heals the man on the Sabbath, he gives the example of if your sheep falls into a, a pit on the Sabbath, you know, you should take you should take hold of it. How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so Yeshua agrees that, you know, to preserve life, that that principle um, is of greater importance than observing the Sabbath. But um, what Yeshua was doing here is he was highlighting the Pharisees' neglect of the Torah's weightier matters, uh, which was something he regularly criticized them for. Mm. He wanted to demonstrate that while the Sabbath is important, mercy and kindness are more important, and that human needs take precedence. Uh, so what the Pharisees did here is uh, in their misguided effort 
to safeguard the Sabbath, they ended up condemning the innocent, as Yeshua goes on to say, on the basis of their man-made restrictions. And so Yeshua, he uh, points out their double standards and their hypocrisy because the Pharisees would have considered David's actions to be justified even though he violated the Torah. How much more should they have considered the disciples' actions justified when all they violated were man-made rules and not the Torah? Mm. And, and so, and, and especially, um, you know, in, in light of the situation of, of human need taking precedence. And so he's like, listen, my disciples, they're not even breaking the Torah. They're just breaking your misguided interpretation of it. You guys think David is justified even though he actually broke the Torah. And so um, that's what I think is going on here. Uh, again, as I said at the beginning of this, it's not an issue of whether or not to keep the Sabbath. It is an issue of how to keep the Sabbath. And Yeshua is saying, no, you Pharisees, you got it wrong. Um, the Sabbath, you distorted the meaning of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. It's meant to bless man. And your man-made restrictions on the Sabbath have turned it into a burden. And that's what that last phrase is all about when he says, the Son of Man is a Lord of the Sabbath. What he's saying there is that he, the Messiah, has the authority to define what the Sabbath looks like. He, as Lord of the Sabbath, is the rightful interpreter of Sabbath observance. This is uh, pretty much what the entire Sermon on the Mount is all about. Um, you know, Yeshua, what does he do? He says, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then the entire Sermon on the Mount is him contrasting his teachings on the Torah with the Pharisees and the scribes' teachings on the Torah. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's basically, he's saying that this is how you fulfill the Torah. This is what true Torah observance looks like. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does it say? It says that all the people that heard his sermon, they were astonished because he spoke as one who had authority and not like the scribes and Pharisees. This is another example of this. Yeshua, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the ultimate authority on what true Sabbath observance looks like. He is the one who interprets it correctly in contrast to the scribes and the pharisees right so great man thanks for explaining that they mm -hmm. did an excellent job um i think it's beautiful in in that he how he says he's the lord of the sabbath it also if if the sabbath by the biblical definition that yeshua obviously held to was abolished now why would he continue to reinforce it and he could have right. and this was a great opportunity for him to be like what do you mean they're they're being not lawful on the sabbath the sabbath isn't relevant in that way anymore we don't need to worry about that anymore i am the rest. exactly forget about any type of literal physical observance of a seventh day sabbath just rest in me he could have just said that but right did not. instead instead he defends his disciples and he says no they're innocent you yeah. guys, they're innocent of your charges. Yeah. So that's, again, that's not what we would expect from someone doing away with the Sabbath, but exactly. it is what we would expect from someone who considered the Sabbath important. Perfect. I'd like to move so, on to the next point. So the, another one uh, argument that's often brought up is the Bible says we should not let others judge us with respect to a day, right? And there's a, two passages that we can quickly talk about regarding this. The first one is a uh, uh, Colossians 2.16, I'll, I'll read it for us here. It says, mm -hmm. um, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food 
and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. I mean, that looks so clear, right? No, don't let anyone judge you. And by the way, we're not judging anyone up here tonight. <laughs> but but I understand. I get the point. Is it not saying we shouldn't care about this anymore because God doesn't care about new moons and Sabbaths? Um, I'd like for us to just have a look at the context here. So if we go up and... Uh, verse 8, and we read, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so he's setting the stage, talking, saying he's about to talk about philosophy, empty deceits, human traditions, man-made right. things, is what he's saying. And then when he goes on in verse 14, he says, Yeshua came by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside that, nailing it to the cross. In other words, he set aside the debt. That is the punishment that the law would bring by us breaking it, nailing that to the cross. And then he goes mm -hmm. and says in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regards to uh, food or drink, a festival, new moon, or Sabbaths. Hmm. Right? This is the passage in question. But then he echoes in verse 20 again. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all parishes that are being used, according to human precepts and right. teachings. And then right. he, he can even read further and he continues to hammer on that point of the human <laughs> precepts that he is talking about in this passage. So when he talks about don't let people judge you in terms of food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths, he, believe it or not, there are other religions and other traditions in this world that pertain to these things. And considering the audience, right, Colossia, mm -hmm. writing to the Colossians right now, it, wouldn't make, it would make sense for him to say this because we know that this was far from Jerusalem. This was not a place where, as far as we know, there was a lot of religious Jews, as we consider them, uh, worshiping God. This was a place that were predominantly ruled by pagans. So when he says... Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, festivals, new moons, and these things. Well, it would make sense if he's writing it to a to a people in a pagan nation. Don't let people judge you when you try to keep the Sabbath, when you try to keep God's feast days, when you attempt to do what is right and be like your Messiah. The world will come at you for that. They will judge you for that and ask you, why don't you keep my feast day? Why don't you keep my, my new moons and my things? Why mm -hmm. do you do things differently? And that's the, mm -hmm. the thing we've been talking about, David, right? Is, is keeping the Sabbath makes us stand out like a sore thumb, like... Why do you do this rest thing on this day when the world works? Is there anything right. you'd like to add to that? Uh, just to kind of a couple things. Um, you just the surface reading of the chapter that you did already right right away. Just at a surface reading, you can tell. Okay, there's a lot going on here. 
You know, when when you just add all of that context, there's a lot going on here. He's talking about worshiping angels. He's talking about asceticism. He's talking about human teachings and precepts and, and, uh, you know, vain deceit and philosophy. So there's, there's a lot going on here. And just the, the verse itself, it's, it's a little ambiguous. Okay. Don't let who judge you do you, you know, who's doing the judging and, and, you know, with regard to the Sabbath, are these religious Jews who are doing the judging? And well, no, I, I think he defines the, the, you know, the teaching of these false teachers in verse eight and, and um, in, in the, the verses after 16 and 17 that you highlighted is that the false teachers who are judging the disciples are the people who, um, they have a vain philosophy. They're they're teaching um, they're teaching worship of angels. They're doing things to try to appease the elemental spirits of the world. And so the way that I take this, and I explain a lot more in in the book, but the way that I take this is that um, the these false teachers that Paul is confronting in Colossians. They had a mixture of of certain Jewish elements like the Sabbath and and the feast days and stuff that they mixed in with a broader um, philosophy um, that had to do with um, astrological elements that had to do with worshiping angels and and appeasing the elemental spirits of the world. And, And so what Paul is essentially saying here is don't let those false teachers judge you in regard to how you keep the Sabbath, the festivals and, and all of that stuff. Like don't, don't let them be the ones, uh, to, to dictate how you are to do those things. Um, and, um, there is this, quote from um clinton arnold he's a christian scholar but he talks about um this false teacher named elkasai uh, hippolytus of, of rome he's a late second early third century christian theologian he wrote about this heretical teaching by a man named elkasai and elkasai's teaching gives us sort of a parallel to what we see happening in in um uh, in the book of Colossians. Basically, he talks about how there are some teachers who mixed elements of Judaism with astrological beliefs and practices. And so citing Hippolytus, this is what the scholar Clinton Arnold writes. He says, there is one figure who may help us better understand how a Christian teacher may have combined magical, astrological, Jewish, and local pagan cult traditions into a new teaching. At the end of the first century, during the time of Trajan, a Christian leader named Elkasai combined aspects of Jewish gnomism, circumcision and law observance, with astrological beliefs and practices. The resultant syncretistic uh, teaching emphasized the hostility of the stars viewed as angels and the need to regulate one's life according to the calendar, especially the Sabbath and the courses of the moon. Colossae was certainly not afflicted by the teaching of Elkasai, but the philosophy, quote unquote, bore many similarities. At the minimum, the example of Elkasai points to emerging forms of localized syncretistic Christianity at an early stage. The Elkasite teaching also demonstrates how a magical slash astrological interpretation of Sabbaths could surface in early Christianity. 
And so to give a, a summary, the, the false teaching in Colossae, it was a type of philosophy that, um, that was mixed in with all of these astrological um, elements uh, of local paganism, um, all intended to um, be part of this worship of angels and appeasing the elemental spirits of the world. And so Paul is saying, don't let those guys, all these false teachers that are pushing this stuff, don't let those guys judge you with regard to the Sabbath. So it, it's not a... It's not a condemnation of the Sabbath itself. It's a condemnation of the judgment of these false teachers who mixed the Sabbath in with all of these other things because they're not really teaching the Sabbath at that point. They're teaching a distorted version of the Sabbath, much like the Pharisees of Yeshua's day. They taught a distorted version of the Sabbath. And so Paul, like Jesus, he is correcting those misinterpretations and he is say, he he did not preach against the sabbath he preached against a misuse of the sabbath a distortion of it mm, good thanks for sharing that brother i mean mm -hmm. yeah so see brothers sisters there's so much going on in these verses so when you do take one verse and you do use that as your proof text it becomes a dangerous setting because of all of the nuances that you will read. And this is not hard. What, what we did was not that difficult in that we just read what is before and after and we see, oh, they're talking about a lot of pagan stuff in the midst of just this. Is this just all about not, don't let anyone judge you for not wanting to keep the Sabbath? No, there's obviously a lot more going on here that we must mm -hmm. acknowledge and look into to get a interpretation that's biblical right and mm -hmm. so yeah thank you for sharing that david it's really good um i'm gonna move on to the next one that people always bring up and, and regarding don't let people judge the days that you keep or so and so mm -hmm. on it says in uh romans 14 verse 5 one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. each one should be fully convinced in his own mind right. and uh I'll also read for us just uh, briefly here in the uh, context, Romans 14, verse 2. Uh, one person believes he might eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let, the one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day is better than another. Another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Is this right. talking about the Sabbath? Does this mean that I can keep the Sabbath any day I want? Or is he talking about something else here? Yeah, so uh, I I can go ahead and answer that real quick if you... Yeah. Um, yeah. Or just com comment on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very common passage, um, and the, the stuff about eating too, um, that often comes up um, with regard to the dietary laws too. Right. Uh, a lot of Christians think that, oh, Paul is saying that the dietary laws and the, uh, the Sabbath, those are matters of opinion. They, they don't really matter, um, right. you know, right now. It, it's, it's a non-issue. Don't judge each other over those things. So he is well, talking I, about food, and he is talking about days, but... Is he talking about the Levitical food instructions and is he talking about the biblical Sabbath or is he talking right. about other things? Right. So it isn't clear. 
right? It, it isn't clear. You you kind of have to you you kind of have to do some work to figure out what exactly Paul is talking about. But you can and figure as I, it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and as 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 I argue in my book, mm-hmm. um, you know, I argue that no, Paul is he's he is talking about foods and days, but um, the issue that he's dealing with is not the things that are commanded in the Torah. He's not dealing with the the food laws in Leviticus 11 or the Sabbath. Um, I'm going to set the the food laws uh, part of it aside for now, since that's a, a little Sorry. bit uh, off topic. Uh, I do address that, though, in my book. Uh, I have an entire section on that. But the thing to... Um, the thing to realize here, it, when it comes to verse uh, five, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Okay, so is Paul talking about the holy days like the Sabbath in this verse? Well, that seems unlikely for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul never explicitly mentions the Sabbath in this chapter or anywhere in the entire book of Romans. And so he never explicitly mentions the Sabbath, um, which should at least give us some pause before automatically concluding that his mention of days here must be referring to the Sabbath. If he were referring to the Sabbath, it it seems like he would have uh, been a little bit more clear here. Second, Some would argue he's talking about any kind of days, feast days, Sabbath days, any kind of... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's that's... An assumption, because the feast days are not explicitly mentioned either. Uh, so, so you kind of have to, you know, you, you it, it's worth asking the question, right? It's yeah. worth asking the question, like, okay, well, what exactly is he talking about? Um, second, the second point I want to say is, as we have seen with regard uh, uh, to the issue of foods as well, uh, we see this with the issue of foods in this chapter. Whatever this specific issue is. It is within the realm of opinions, not commandments. He says in the very first verse in Romans, 4, uh, Romans 14, 1, do not uh, judge each other over opinions. Do not dispute over opinions, okay? First century Jews and Christians never considered holy days like the Sabbath to be mere matters of opinion. Uh, as we talked about earlier, Christians didn't start abandoning commandments like the Sabbath until the second century. Uh, the, the earliest evidence we have of Christians abandoning the Sabbath is from the second century, long after Romans was written. So, and, and again, and that was only in Roman and, Al- and, and Alexandria, uh, not universally. Um, so, so it seems like there are reasons to doubt the traditional interpretation. And I want to submit that there is a better option for how we can interpret days mentioned in Romans 14.5. Many people have proposed that Paul is actually addressing traditional fast days. Because remember, he's dealing with opinions, not commandments. He yeah. says, do not quarrel over opinions. Okay, So there were traditional fast days during this time and we have historical evidence that there were disputes between competing sects regarding which days to fast on. Um, oh. We do know that some early church fathers, such as Augustine and John Chrysostom, they actually have commentaries on this verse, and they interpret this verse as uh, applying to designated days of fasting. So we do have some early Christian commentaries that that don't interpret this as the Sabbath, 
We even um, have in the Bible itself, right? Remember how the uh, Pharisees came to Yeshua and his disciples, uh, Matthew nine fourteen. You know, the right. disciples of, oh, excuse me, the disciples of John came to him yeah. saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So we already okay. see this interesting, well, it's, it's our tradition to fast and maybe even fast on this day, on that day, but you guys don't seem to be fasting at all. And so right. there is this a little bit of a, something in the air regarding that already. Yeah, so so we do have we have, do have debates over whether or not to fast um, that mm. we see in the New Testament. We know that the Pharisees were known for fasting twice a week. We see that in Luke uh, eighteen twelve, and also the rabbinic literature discusses setting aside Monday and Thursday for fasting. Mm. Um, so it appears that fasting twice a week was a common practice at this time. What's interesting is that in contrast to the Pharisaic practice of fasting Monday and Thursday, we have an early second century Christian document, the Didache, which instructs its Gentile readers not to fast on the same days as what they call, quote unquote, the hypocrites, what the author calls the hypocrites. Mm -hmm. do, not, do not fast on the same days as the hypocrites. He's talking to his Gentile audience. Uh, and then he says, fast on Wednesday and Friday instead of the days that the hypocrites fast on. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, the writer to the Didache community thought that fasting on the traditional days of Monday and Thursday was associated with hypocritical people. Uh, whatever his reasons for thinking that were, uh, in any case, we see already here that there is a conflict regarding which days to fast right. between Gentile believers and the normative Jewish practice. And if you now have this information and you read this again, then it makes total sense because he's in verse three, let, don't, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Don't, don't point right. fingers at which day you eat or, 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 excuse me, whether you fast or not, whether you eat or abstain. And then don't right. let, and don't, you know, the other way around, don't do the same. And then he says in verse five, and then one esteems one day as better as another, another esteems all days alike. It, it, it's not relevant. But is this talking about the Sabbath or is it talking about something more up in, in opinion land, which yeah. fasting most certainly, for example, is? I mean, David, you can fast any day you want. I'm not going to point the finger at you. And right. I know it's, not, it's, it's not in the Torah. It's not yeah. a commandment to, to but, fast but it is on, important, on certain days. Right? Yeah. It's like, okay, it is. It, Yeshua did... Talk about fasting. We know fasting is a, a, a act. It's something we do on the Day of Atonement. So it is sure, a part sure. of our walk. But the day, when, how, all of the stuff about it, you know, in terms of our, whether you weekly fast or not, those things right. aren't. Uh, or, or which or which days of the week yeah. you fast on and and the option of fasting seems a lot more plausible in light of verse six too because paul explicitly connects these designated days that he's talking about with eating and abstaining this is what it mm -hmm. says in verse six i'm reading from the esv i don't know what version you got there but yes, it says yes, the me. one okay the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the lord the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So this verse uh, says that one's observance or non-observance of the day 
that Paul's talking about is defined by their eating or abstaining. That is whether or not they fast. In either case, Paul says, give thanks to God. So yeah. the days are connected to either eating or abstaining. Yeah, and so, the Sabbath um, has nothing to do with eating, really, in, in, its, yeah, yeah. in its commandment, right? Yeah, so, so just those, those clues right there within the text itself, and also what we see in historical uh, sources, where we see historically there were these disputes over these opinions that Paul talks mm. about, these opinions regarding which days to fast on. And that seems like a much more plausible interpretation uh, than the traditional interpretation. And as I mentioned, we we do have early Christ Christian his, uh, commentaries that uh, align with that view as well. So, mm, very good. Thank you for sharing that. I'll, I'll read the next point here. Uh, the Sabbath is now every day. It's not on a specific day. It's what an argument often is, and it's also coupled with Jesus is now our continual sabbath rest and so you know brothers and sisters when we talk about this with this idea the sabbath is now every day it's not on the seventh day what it does is it rids the sabbath really of its biblical definition again because now we are trying to remove what the sabbath is from what we're trying to say the sabbath is by definition the seventh day by definition, it's the day we cease labor. By definition, it's supposed to be wholly set apart, different from the rest of the days. It's not any day. By definition, it's the seventh. That's why God worked six, created for six days, rested on the seventh. But now when you bring in, well, you know, Jesus is our continual Sabbath rest because we rest in Jesus, which we should and we do. And me and David agree with that, that we rest in that salvation. But what we do, though, is we then we present this symbolic revelation of resting in Yeshua and we replace the literal commandment with the symbolic revelation. In other words, we say, well, we rest in Yeshua, therefore we don't literally need to do what the commandment says anymore. But that would be like kind of, you know, when we when we look at the Bible, it also says Yeshua is the bread of life, right? That's a symbolic revelation. Wow. Yeah, he he we eat of him, we are satisfied, we are fulfilled where the world could never satisfy and ordinary bread could never satisfy. But does that mean that you stop eating bread because he is your bread? Does it mean you you replace the literal uh, uh, ability for you to eat bread? And I don't do that anymore because I would be disrespecting uh, <laughs> Jesus being my bread. No, right. Or if we say he's the light of the world, another uh, a revelation that's very symbolic. Does that mean that he is literally the light of the world and we have no need for the sun anymore? We have no need for lights in our houses at night anymore? Of These are funny comparisons. However, this is what we are doing when we say that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Yes, he is. Amen. He is our, the bread of life. He is the light of the world. But that does not mean that the actual commandment now, which it is a commandment, the fourth to keep the Sabbath day holy is now being replaced by this revelation that he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the uh, Sabbath rest. Um, Amen. Is there anything you, you, you want to add to that, David? Um, you explained it perfectly. I would just uh, give one more example, um, you yeah. know, like uh, marriage. Paul talks, Paul teaches a deeper message of what marriage is, that it's a picture of the ultimate marriage 
uh, between the church and Christ. Well, that deeper revelation of marriage obviously does not do away with the literal institution of marriage. Uh, you know, we we still get married. Um, you know, uh, it, it's uh, in, in in the same way with the Sabbath. I mean, the deeper revelation of of what the Sabbath points to does not negate um, the uh, practical application of the resting on the Sabbath. So, yeah, you right. you explained everything else perfectly. But yeah, I just I just also that, that's another example I like to give. Yeah, basically, we wouldn't be allowed to marry if uh... <laughs> right. If we were consistent with with that logic, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, great. Um, so, brown sisters, we're running out of time, but we're going to try and do one or two more here of the arguments uh, against uh, Christians keeping the Sabbath. Um, I'm going to look here. This one: the Sabbath, along with all the other laws, were given to set Israel apart from the rest of the culture. And is no longer applicable to us since we don't live in that culture, and we are no, we are not Israel. Uh, David, how would you answer that? I guess I just don't see how that follows because all of God's commandments were given in a particular culture. All of the commandments were given to set Israel apart, and so I, I don't. It seems like an artificial distinction. Like why, why would we single the Sabbath out? Um, you know, from all of the other commandments that were given, you know, at Mount Sinai, yeah. you know, with, within that, within that culture. So that, that's, yeah, that's all I would. Yeah. I guess some that. people see the Sabbath. I've heard this to be a more of a ceremonial law, right? And oh, the others right, are, right, yeah. which, which by the way, guys, there's no such definition in the Bible. Okay, guys, there's the ceremonial laws. There's all the moral laws and don't worry about the ceremonial laws anymore. Just worry about the moral like that that's not defined the sabbath is next to murder the sabbath is next to <laughs> right. honoring parents and these things so um ultimately when we say it was only to set israel apart back then and it doesn't matter today anymore no you need to be set apart today too word right. set apart actually means to be holy and 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 peter writes writes be holy for i'm holy quoting from the torah itself where god he makes us holy by the righteousness we receive from accepting Christ. But then we continue walking in that holiness of Christ. And mm -hmm. that means we must look different. That is not something that was only for Israel to do. That is certainly something we are all to do. And yeah, and yeah. I'll, I'll just add this is that we are Israel. If you're a believer, you are Israel. Jeremiah mm -hmm. 31 describes a new covenant made out to the house of Israel and Judah. And so mm. in Romans, Paul describes us being grafted in. So there is a, a, a part of Israel that we become part of that seed of Abraham. And yeah, and Ephesians 2, you know, we, we become fellow heirs. You know, we, uh, we are uh, become members of the household of God. You know, we're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise, you know, but Jew and Gentile together are, are part of that one new man. And um, Amen. yeah, so last one. Um, Offerings are required to observe the Sabbath. And I'll just read um, something that I got from a Israeli Messianic Jewish ministry who believes in Jesus. They said, we believe that the core system of the Sinai covenant includes the sacrifices, the priesthood and the temple, which no longer exist. The commandments were tied to it and were an outflow of it. For example, celebrating the Sabbath for celebrating the Sabbath, a sacrifice had 
to be made. Okay, so basically the argument is simply that if you want to celebrate this, the Sabbath, um, you must be able to do offerings at the temple. And since the temple sacrifices aren't being done by us today anymore, we cannot um, keep the Sabbath. Uh, Numbers 28 verse 9 um, we read where this is all this whole idea comes from and it tells us on the sabbath day two male lambs a year old without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for grain offering mixed with oil and a string offering this is the offering that you will bring on the sabbath and so because you can't bring this offering you can't keep the sabbath day holy but what we must understand is that these offerings are tied to the temple it's true they are but they are not a requirement in order to keep the fourth commandment, in order to rest from our labors on uh, the Sabbath. This is simply that in the presence of a temple and the priesthood and everything there, this is the offering you will make on the day. But see, that's different from saying that this is required to be able to observe the fourth commandment. And so I just think that that's... I've never actually heard this one until recently. I don't know if you've heard this one, David, but... That it's it's very strange uh, and it's problematic for several reasons. I mean, as you mentioned, that it's it's not uh, required. You know, the, the temple system is not required to rest on the seventh day, and um, all it means is that we cannot bring the offerings. The the priests cannot bring the offerings. You know, uh, but that doesn't um, free us from our obligation to keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not part of the temple system. The Sabbath was established in creation uh, long, be long before, um, long before there was a temple, uh, or a tabernacle or a, or a Levitical priesthood. So I, I just, um, it, it seems very, um, uh, it just seems like a way to kind of get out of the commandment, honestly. I mean, I, I don't know the, the people that, uh, that put together the the uh, the article, but but yeah, it's uh, it just seems very um, the logic doesn't follow, um, and the new covenant itself, you know, like it, even even if you want to say that all that stuff uh, was part of the old covenant or the temple system, the new covenant writes the Torah on our hearts, and you know we, you know, it, it's. It, it, it's continues into the new covenant era that is inaugurated by Christ. And that's why we see Yeshua and the apostles continuing to keep the Sabbath. That's why we see uh, the entire Christian world as late as the fifth century continuing to keep the Sabbath. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, I, I have heard something similar to that uh, recently. Somebody tried to say that because the, uh, just to bring this up really quick, because I think it's funny and somewhat related, but somebody said recently that, um, you, you know, we who believe in keeping the Sabbath, we're lying when we say we keep the Sabbath because the Torah requires the death penalty for breaking the Sabbath. And so if we're not stoning people for breaking the Sabbath, we're not actually keeping the Sabbath. Mm. And um, I, I'm like, Huh, interesting. So how many adulteresses have you stoned recently? How, how many, you know, how many people who have committed adultery have, have you killed recently? Um, because if you haven't killed any people that have committed adultery, then you must not really be faithful to your spouse because the only way, the only way to keep that commandment is, uh, you know, is to, 
you know, kill people that break it. And so obviously, you know, that capital punishment, it's not something that applies today. You know, it's, it's something that it can only apply uh, within the context of a theocratic government on the basis of, of Torah, you know, a theocratic government in, in Israel on the basis of Torah. Um, but the fact that, you know, the cap, the system that needs to be in place to administer capital punishment, the fact that that doesn't exist doesn't mean that we can't keep the Sabbath. It doesn't mean we can't rest on the seventh day. Mm. Just the same, you know, just the same as we can still be faithful to our spouse. We can still not commit adultery, you know, even though the system that needs to be in place in order to punish adulterers is, you know, is not in place. So yeah, anyway, um, yeah, just, just something I kind of, uh, yeah. I would like to just spend um, a minute or two. Hey guys, everyone in the chat right now, just head to the chat and ask any questions that you have regarding this keeping of the Sabbath. I already have a few that I see um, that's been asked. We're just going to talk like about uh, one or two of them. So please head to the chat, um, ask your questions and we can do a few before we close the night here tonight. Um, One of the questions that I saw was asked by the servant on the Sabbath, no commerce, but what about fun things such as a hobby? Like, can you play catch with your son? Well, you know, I'll just say on that, you know, fun things, right? Um, that's not necessarily the definition we, what we look for. However, I would ask, is it labor? Is it the ordinary work? that you do for money to is to buy and sell like you mentioned uh, the servant commerce so something like a hobby to play catch with your son that is not that is absolutely um okay to do on the sabbath in fact that would probably be what you must do on the sabbath (laughs) and that is to spend time Mm. with your family and be with them fellowship with them play catch spend time with your your kids um absolutely amen you that's absolutely um, what Yeshua would love for you to be able to do on this day. In fact, I think if more dads kept the Sabbath, we would have less divorce. We would have our kids turning out better than ever before. <laughs> mm. uh, okay, another question. Um, so let me then ask, can I pray with... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask... I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to read that one. It's gone. Um, uh Okay, a uh, uh, question for David from David. Do you address SDA theology in the book, David? I have an SDA friend who obviously believes in keeping the Sabbath, but disagrees with keeping other laws that aren't found in the Ten Commandments. Uh, no, I don't address uh, Seventh-day Adventist- Adventism uh, specifically. Um, obviously, I differ with Seventh-day Adventists on on those issues that that were mentioned i i have some disagreements with other aspects of their theology the weight that they place on lng white's writings for example and mm-hmm. and uh um things like that uh but no i um since i pretty much agree with seventh day adventists on on the issue of the sabbath i don't really confront their theology because it's it's not really relevant to to the question that i tackle specifically in the book Anyone else, uh, please go to the chat, ask your question, if anything else. Um, most persons don't view Sunday as the Sabbath. That's more in line with Reformed Christians. For many others, it's just a church day. Um, yeah, I would say typically Protestants 
um, don't view, they view Sunday, some view Sunday as a day of rest. Um, but I guess most consider it officially, technically the Lord's day and not the Sabbath day. Um, so they don't actually keep the Sabbath traditionally and abstaining from their work and not buying and selling and things of that nature. And that's why the only really the, the simple thing that we are presenting here tonight is that there is actually a, well, let's not work, let's not make others work, let's not buy, let's not sell things. Um, let's have fun with our families, let's fellowship, let's um, spend time with our father. That's mm -hmm. good. But uh, there's definitely a setting apart when it gets real to set it apart when you need to actually not do what the world does in this day, which is the opposite of, um, which is work and we ought not to. Um, the servant also asks, is it not Sabbath? Is the Sabbath not like God's way to ensure that we are not overworked? It makes us have a free day every week. Even the slaves get a day all from working. Very yeah. good. Uh, David, you want to answer that? Um, no, just a yeah. It's a great, um, great insight. Yeah, I think that that's part of the reason God gave the Sabbath, you know, and and why he why he gave it to Israel also. You know, they were in slavery. They they didn't they weren't able to celebrate the Sabbath when they were in slavery in Egypt. And so, um, as I said, sort of at the beginning of this interview, um, you know the sabbath is uh yeah we weren't created to work every day we just simply weren't we weren't created to work uh our lives away um we were created to have a day of rest and uh the sabbath blesses us uh in that way you know it uh um yeah i, I guess that's a and it's also ethical too i think like if you have servants you know that that expresses an ethical aspect of the command i mean pd uh you know you brought up the I, the distinction that some people make between moral and ceremonial laws well um it seems that the fourth commandment there's an ethical aspect of that you have to give your servants rest you know you you cannot let you cannot force them to work every day you have to give them a day of rest and so yeah it's um Humans need rest. And we I think a lot of people actually are, I mean, to what you said, it's so good. I think a lot of mm. people also are, um, actually a lot of people suffer, I think, with health issues because yeah. of being overworked and the extreme stress and pressures that we put ourselves under when we do not take off, when we do not get ourselves a break. If you work 24-7, like many people in this world, they do. Um, yeah. A lot of people end up in the hospital and the doctor, I mean, my dad's a doctor himself. He's a surgeon. He sees people every day. And so oftentimes the issue is not this or that. It's not that you need to take more vitamins, as good as that is. As It's not that you need to wipe more essential oils on your belly <laughs> or that you need to eat more vegetables. Those things are, can all be good. But the answer sometimes is that you need to stop overworking. You need to rest. You need to stop putting so much pressure on yourself. And mm. you need to put your burdens on Yeshua. Lay your bur bring your burdens unto me is what he said. And uh, sometimes I think that's really the answer to many people's health struggles as well. Um, so, yeah, anyone who's struggling with something at the, that you're not sure, ask yourself, am I... Am I resting? Am I putting my burdens for Yeshua? Or am I trying to carry it all? Because that really takes a toll on our bodies as well. Amen. Um, 
Okay, one more question I'll do for tonight uh, before we end off here in a prayer is from marriage for life. If we don't have to keep the Sabbath because Christ fulfilled it, why do believers remember his birth, though that was already fulfilled <laughs> as well? Yeah, right. good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, if we... <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand the point. I think it's interesting. Um, people should then stop celebrating Christmas as his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, yeah, no, I understand. But ultimately, we keep the Sabbath and it's, it's, it's good to worship him on that day. It's good to think on his birth. It's good to worship. Uh, I mean, there were many people notified when he was being born. They traveled far away to see the child that was born that night. And in the same way, uh, we worship God on the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath holy. So Yeah, I, I celebrate Yeshua's birth every year during the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah. So that's uh, there you go. that's when I celebrate it. So. Then, <laughs> uh, all right, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for putting your questions in the chat and observations and for joining us here tonight. Um, I'm going to ask David to end us off in a prayer here. And um, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, before I do, thank you so much, PD, for um, for having me on. It was such a, a blessing to to see you again and to talk to you. And um, and I hope uh, your audience was was blessed by the discussion. And um, and I'll go ahead and pray. So. Yes. Let me just say, say oh, this sure. as well. Yeah. Thank you for coming on and for everyone listening. I have linked his book in the description of this video so you can go and get it there. If we said something that you're like, I don't know about that and you want to really dig in deeper, I really recommend it. I've looked through it. It's very in-depth and uh, well-written and really easy to understand. So if something went over your head tonight and because we spoke fast and we went fast, go have a look, sit down and and look at what he's written. It's really uh, well-rounded. Um, so, yes, David, thank you for coming on, man. It's always been a blessing to have you on. I know it's been blessing people. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it was a blessing for me, too. And um, all right, I'll close us out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time here uh, that we had tonight just discussing your word. Um, Father, thank you for the rest that you have provided um, thank you for the Sabbath day, that, that weekly day of rest that you established in creation as a blessing for us. And thank you ultimately, God, for what that Sabbath day points us to, the eternal rest that we have in your son, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Um, we are grateful, Lord, for the life, the rest that you've provided the salvation that you've given us through him. And God, if there's anyone listening right now that that doesn't know you, that that uh, most importantly, Lord, if, if they don't know your son, Yeshua the Messiah, if they've never come to know you in a personal way, uh, God, I ask that you would speak to their hearts, that they, that they would um, come to recognize the truth of the gospel, that they would come to recognize how much you love them, that you died for their sins, that you made a way for them to enter into relationship with you, um, that they can be saved from 
sin and death and be given a new life in you, a life of blessing. And Father, I, I just pray that for anyone listening that, that may be um, questioning that or, or wondering about that. Uh, it, and um, I just pray that your, your Holy Spirit, God, just gives them that nudge um, and that they would come to know you. And Father, uh, concerning the topic tonight of uh, the practical observance of the Sabbath, Lord, I, I pray that this discussion was edifying for your people and that your people, that uh, if they haven't considered keeping the Sabbath, uh, before, that they would consider keeping it, God. And um, if they already keep the Sabbath, I pray that this discussion helped them to, um, or, or it reaffirms their beliefs uh, and, and their commitment to keep the Sabbath the way that you said to keep it, and equips them with um, reasons that they can share with their friends for why they keep the Sabbath. So Father, thank you again for the blessing. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you in your son Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Really appreciate that. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. We are live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you want to get notified on when we get live by receiving a text message, text Yeshua to 94000. Then uh, you'll get a text and you can join us in the live chat next time. Uh, many, many blessings and uh, we'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom.